and welcome back to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me today, I've got some members of the usual crew. We've got Adam Vitale. Hello. We have James Galizio. Hey, folks. We have Chow Min Wu. Hello, people. And joining us today, we have Jess Reyes. Welcome back to the uh, podcast, Jess. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. And uh, we will we'll be missing Josh today, but he has not missed a day in like over a year. So we will allow that. So we are effectively trading out Josh to get Jess on the podcast. And welcome back, Adam, after a couple of absent weeks. So I think that's a fair trade. So this is the first yeah. podcast in the month of January that I feel like the, the year has really started rolling and ramped up. Uh, first couple of podcasts was a lot of kind of wind down from our game of the year discussion. I guess that's the last time we heard from Jess was uh, when all five of us were on that game of the year podcast uh, in like December that we posted at the beginning of this month. Uh, we've been talking about a few early releases in January, some of the trickles of news that had come out early in the month, including, of course, the big Microsoft acquisition from last week. Uh, but t- today we're actually going to be talking about, you know, some, one of the first major releases of the year. And that is obviously, of course, Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, Arceus. Before we get to that, though, this has also been a really busy week up on the website on RPGsite.net in terms of some reviews and features and previews that have gone up over the last seven days. So before we get into uh, what games we've been playing over the last week, I did at least want to give these their shout out uh, so you guys can check them out if you're interested in reading about them. Um, specifically, we got up a review, sorry, a preview for Atelier Sophie 2, which is coming out in about a month from now, from Paige Chamberlain. So she was able to get access to a preview copy of the game. And I'm not sure exactly what her history with the series is, but of course, after the success of Ryza and Ryza 2 over the last couple of years, it's interesting to see Gus go back to another direct sequel for one of their older games. And Atelier Sophie 2, we've talked about in the news a fair bit over the last couple months of the podcast. So it's kind of cool to at least get more of a direct hands-on preview for the game up on the site. So if you're at all interested in that series, we do have that preview up from Paige on the website right now. We also have a couple of like non-preview features up on the site uh, from both Alex and actually, no, these are both from Alex Donaldson. So the first one is Alex is an, uh, a Final Fantasy nut. If you don't know that already, he is. It's partially why he helped found RPG site. Uh, but he wrote up a, uh, a feature article titled, I'll just let the title speak for itself. Why wasn't Doom Train in Final Fantasy 15? So this, this, is a, this is kind of just more of a fun article. And that's one of our goals for the year is to try to write some more kind of like opinion pieces about what we're passionate about, things that we like to see in games, the reason why we enjoy writing about them beyond just a typical news review podcast sort of format. So Alex did end up writing our review for Final Fantasy 15 back when it launched about five years ago. And it's a game that he's kind of held close to his chest for a while. So kind of fun to see him take a kind of a more like uh, comedic approach to a feature about that game uh, as it turns five years old or has turned five years old. He also wrote, and this is a uh, a topic that we're going to get into later in this podcast for a good significant discussion later, is uh, about the RPG mechanics of Pokemon Legends Arceus. So this isn't a formal review, but it's basically a feature about his time with the game and why he was really impressed with the kind of the 
the the tack that it ended up taking that made it so feel so different from other Pokemon games. And I'm sure we've have a couple of us on the podcast this week that have also had a chance to start playing it. So I'm sure a lot of those same nuggets and those same bits will will crop up again in that discussion. We also do have a whole bunch of guides that are in progress for Pokemon Legends Arceus up on the site. So if you're playing it right now and you're having any interest in completing the quest or finding specific Pokemons or any tips and tricks at all, we have a whole bunch of stuff on the site. And I know Alex and Andrea have been working really hard to uh, put that all together from their time with the game. Uh, And then finally, I did also discuss last week my time with Expeditions Rome. And I talked most of my discussion last week, and I'll bring it up again later in the podcast this week. But I did write up my my final thoughts into a formal review that I just put up on the site this morning. So if that's a game that you're interested in from early January uh, or from mid-January, that is up on the site as well. So without further ado, let's go into discussion about potentially the first big major release of the year, at least in terms of coverage for our site, of course, is Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, Jess, I'm glad that we have you on the podcast today because I know that you have had a lot of chance to at least start playing it over the last couple of days, uh, along with James as well, has been able to put some time into it. But uh, so, Jess, I'll start with you. Uh, Your time with Pokemon Legends Arceus about just just kind of give me a high level like. Uh, how far are you into the game? What What are your thoughts so far? Like you, you, I don't, I don't know if you bothered to play the uh, the Sinnoh remakes from last year, the Brilliant Diamond, or if this is your first Pokemon game in a while. Just, just tell me about your time with the game so far and how you're feeling. Okay, so for context, I've played most Pokemon games, including spinoffs. I didn't play um, Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl just because I didn't feel compelled to, um, but I do. No, like I know all the, like I played Diamond and Pearl back in the day and all that. I know all the Pokemon. This time, um, it's been a while since I revisited the Sinnoh region, but I still recognize them. The first thing that stood out to me about this game, and I, I mean, I only got it yesterday with everyone else because I didn't get an <laughs> early code. But very, very few people did, for the record. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, people were always raving about it being like, oh, it's like going to be like Breath of the Wild. And to be fair, there's I see the inspiration, but to me, it does come off as like more Zelda than any Pokemon game that I've ever played. Not just because of the scenery, but because of the gameplay, and in fact, some maybe a little bit in terms of humor too. Uh, like a, there's a whole bunch of different mechanics that they introduce into the game that have to do with like a more realistic style almost like it's uh, battles work a little bit differently compared to the average Pokemon game. In a way that, like, I, you know, like, I need some time to get used to it. To me, it feels like there's some scaling that's a little bit different when it comes to um, how attacks work and if Pokemon will even attack depending on certain conditions. And then there's even uh, swift, what is it, strong and, and agile style for when you master a move to make, to make them do different things right and i know that's a thing that alex kind of brought up on his uh little preview feature up on the site as well as something that was kind of highlighted in one of the uh gameplay trailers preceding the release of the game the ability to basically change the strength of a move to either carry out the attack quicker or slower at the at the expense of you know doing a stronger attack you might get attacked first before it goes off or a quicker attack might bring up your next turn your next turn more quickly uh so you mentioned that you have to master that's that's like a progression system you have to master a move before you even get the chance to make that choice yeah and the thing is 
I mean, the thing that stands out to me about this game is like it's Pokemon, but more realistic, if that makes sense. It's like each Pokemon that you approach has different behaviors. Like some might be kind of timid and run away from you. Some might just stay there as you walk up to them because you're friendly with humans. Some of them are aggressive and attack you right away. Um, there's even Pokemon of different sizes. And I guess like that just came across as, uh, you know, actually approaching wildlife. And even the characters in the game talk about Pokemon as if they're an actual danger, as if you're approaching a real animal instead of like a, a gamified being like it is in the normal game. Unfortunately, I'm in like a I'm in like a place where the last Pokemon games I've really played are, oddly enough, the um original Diamond and Pearl releases. And of course, if you're not aware, the uh, Pokemon Legends RCS takes place in the same region just hundreds of years in the past. So Hisui is basically ancient Sinnoh. Um, and I'm still like in the mindset where Pokemon, wild Pokemon are in the wild grass. Cause I've never played uh, like let's go where they're, uh, f- freely roaming around or the wild areas of sword and shield. Uh, I've watched, of course, several of the gameplay trailers, the preceding release, but I haven't, I haven't watched anything since release like Twitch streamers or, or video reviews. Uh, when you're, when you're out in the area, uh, outside of the, of the starting village, how prevalent are like do you run into pokemon everywhere are they pretty scattered or like at any given time how many pokemon do you see running around like i'm just trying to get like a feel for like how how dense they are in terms of like their population and how many you'll see at any given time um in each like you can find them pretty easily like as i'm traveling like maybe if there's an open space there'll be like at least three pokemon there and then across the river there'll be three pokemon there again like it's pretty easy to find them like you know if i'm like oops i just chased away one pokemon or like the entire group because i threw a ball and it missed um i don't need to wait that long to find more (laughs) there are more rare pokemon every now and then like this was something i was kind of upset about (laughs) like i i saw an eevee next to a bidoof and i Tried to throw a ball at it, but it got out and it just ran away. And now I can't find another one. So oh, I actually kind of like that. Though. I thought you said yeah. I thought you were going to say you hit the Bidoof instead or something. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's um, I I I like it. I think that's fair. It makes sense to me. It's you know, like Eevee in the old games is also a rare Pokemon a lot of the time. So I'm confident I'll find another one. But it is a uh, you know, like I'm noticing some new things still. Like that, there's Pokemon that pop up less often than others some that only pop up during nighttime etc so which pokemon did you pick as your starter like Cyndaquil? this is <laughs> Yo, no, 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 I, I did the same i always do the same yep. same uh Wait. for me as a pokemon player, it's always a fire type i don't give a crap about the others it's always a fire type but Oshawott. no fire <laughs> is the way to go so so chow Honestly. have you played it or are you just saying that you would have picked the fire type no, I actually played about an hour. Um, oh, okay. I got, yeah, I, I got the I, game. I, I, did, I didn't mean to leave it hanging. I, like, I, I mentioned how Jess and James were playing it. Uh, I just didn't realize you had also had it. I also have pre-ordered the game and downloaded it. Um, I was just finishing up some stuff yesterday and haven't got a chance to it. I'll probably be playing it uh, as soon as this, um, this podcast is up and ready and out. So for next week, I imagine we'll have even a further discussion on this. Uh, so obviously, a lot of the premise of the story has been kind of covered in some of the marketing material. But let's say my memory is hazy. And I don't exactly remember. Like, I know that you're a part of an explorer group of the region. But can you just kind of go over like what is the the general premise of the game and like why you're out exploring outside of Jubilee Village for these Pokemon? Yeah, apparently your character is like a 
capture God, and like no one else knows how to catch Pokemon as good as them. <laughs> so the professor's like, "Oh my God, you're amazing! We need you as part of the team." So then I feel he, like you're glossing <laughs> over something. Well, I'm not. It's, it's the not first a spoiler. Cut, it's the first cut scene. You got Isekai. Okay, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was a spoiler or not, but yeah, I didn't see that coming, honestly. When if it's, it's suddenly like <laughs> if it's in the first cutscene, it's not a spoiler. Wait, so is is your character from the future? What? It's implied that the character for Arceus Legends is the same one from Diamond and Pearl. Oh huh. I didn't really I knew it was from the future. I didn't yeah, think it was Diamond and Pearl, to be honest. Well, yeah, that's the reason why you're a capture god, because you've had all the experience from Diamond and Pearl. And why you're not afraid of Pokemon. Oh, okay. Well, on, but yeah, yeah. Basically, it is Isekai. It's like a character that she she like falls out of the sky. He falls out of the sky, whichever gender you pick. Um, and then ends up in this region. And they can catch Pokemon better than anyone else. So they're like, we need them as part of our team. And in exchange for room and board... um. You catch Pokemon for the professor. Try to fill in the Pokedex. Do they explain the, uh, the the choice of starters, like why it's Cyndaquil and why it's Rowlet? No, in the Sinnoh oh. region. No, no, actually, um, it is just like the professor was chasing after them, and he, he just happened to have these three Pokemon on hand, and he's like, "Can you help them me recapture them?" And then you recapture them. But it's not unclear why he had them in the first place. Well, yeah, I was just wondering, maybe there's like a single line of dialogue that said like, this Rowlet, I think, traveled far from home or whatever. I didn't know, so I took care of it. And you want it? you know, Or something like that. Just because like, let's see, Cyndaquil is from Johto, which is, I, I think, uh, based on the Kansai region, I think. And then uh, what 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 gen was Rowlet from? Seven? Yeah, seven. And what what area is that? I think what it was might between... be four and one, honestly. Just Hawaii, Anyways. right? Oh, right, it was. Yeah, that was uh, Alola. So oh. <laughs> this 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 uh this bird just flew over the uh, the Pacific and made its way here or something. So, have you encountered any of the one of the big things that they kind of placed as seemingly like the the main progression of the narrative is the encountering and pacifying for lack of a better word um noble pokemon which which with seemingly the first one being that oh its name is i'm blanking on the name the scyther axe cleaver one cleaver uh is that indeed have you run into cleaver yet no but there's another thing that i did run into um there's another part of the game called like there's such thing as alpha pokemon and they seem to be a lot bigger than usual with red eyes and you know, I came across it like a, all of a sudden without realizing that it would be there. Um, I was, you know, trying to catch more weasels because I wanted to get, you know, one with like really good IVs. <laughs> and then um, suddenly there's like a giant floatzel right next to it and it started chasing after me. And I was like, I don't know what level this is, but I could tell I'm probably not ready. So I just ran away. Um, that's another part of the game. I'm not sure how integrated alphas will be or like how important they will be later on in the plot but i know that's another thing that people um you know like you're supposed to catch bigger pokemon or like alpha pokemon for certain reasons uh, i did i said that i hadn't watched any like uh footage of the game yet but i guess that was a lie now that i think about it because i did see someone sharing like a twitter clip of of someone running into an alpha snorlax and that snorlax was like yelling at them or whatever and like 
was actually pretty imposing up on its hind legs or whatever. Uh, so I'll, I'll hand it over to James now just to talk about, cause you've also had some time with the game. Uh, and just, just curious about you have played. I know you were one of our main coverage sources for a lot of the sword and shield wild areas. And even like the Pokemon let's go games before that. And there were aspects of those games that I know that you really latched onto in your write-ups for the, both those titles. Um, I'm wondering if Arceus has impressed you in some fashion or, Maybe you're feeling the opposite and it's not quite what you expected. Just what are your thoughts on the game so far? Um, I feel like even before the uh, leaks came out that really turned Fultz's uh, thoughts around on the game, I was um, pretty hopeful for the game just because even though I really didn't like base game Sword and Shield, the expansion pass, I'm of the opinion that it's probably the best that Pokemon has been since Black 2 and White 2. Um, and oh. A lot of the reasons why I felt that way kind of informed my thoughts and feelings going into Arceus because like especially the Crown Tundra now that I'm playing Arceus definitely feels like the prototype for the type of game that they wanted to make with this. And I'll be honest, like I'm I'm loving this. This might be my favorite game in the series right now. Wow. How far are you? I'm in the fourth region, so I'm probably like two-thirds of the way through the story or something like that. But then we, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's certain other people that have completely blitzed the game and it's out there on Twitch or whatever. But I do wonder, like, uh, Pokemon games, at least in my out, uh, outside experience, since I haven't played them since Diamond and Pearl, it feels like, the, the, at least in the, in the traditional games, that they they pack in more and more content like after the league or after the main story ends. So I do wonder, like, how long of a tail Arceus will have pat beyond the the whatever the main story i guess i'll ask that question because i don't know like in the premise of this game's narrative what is the climax point if there is no like gym challenge or no league at the end i don't know if that's something that you can glean based on what you've experienced so far about like what it's leading to or if that kind of goes into spoiler territory well there's boss battles like actual boss battles so is that the noble pokemon you're talking about yeah, they're kind of weird in the sense. I'm not sure how I feel about them, because for the most part, you're not Pokemon battling them. You're just throwing these bombs at them. And then there might be an opportunity for you to switch to a Pokemon battle for a bit. But for the most part, it's just like action combat. And you're just hmm. dodging attacks and throwing stuff at them. And the game even outright says, time your dodges. They have iframes. Oh, really? Yeah, and the, and one of the one of the more recent right before launch trailers did show that with the bomb throwing, and I, I think I remember I think I mentioned on the podcast after that trailer, whether it was last week or two weeks ago, that it looked a bit out of all the different gameplay mechanics they've shown so far. That was the one that I felt the least like high on. It's like I don't know if this works too well, but the fact that you can go into like maybe the more traditional battle and play with the strong agile attacks uh, or things like that, I hopefully hopefully it'll end up feeling like a good uh, a good mix. So all three of you ended up picking up picking Cyndaquil. Is that what I gathered? Yep. The right choice. Uh, do you? Uh, I guess Adam, you can pick Oshawa, and I will pick Rowlet. Right, and then next week we will have all of our bases covered. Uh, do you get like the opportunity to get the other starters, or maybe maybe it won't won't be till like later in the game? Is I guess let me ask a more general question along the same lines. Is there like? a incentive or at least a presumed incentive to kind of try to capture one of every pokemon in the game like there is in the in the in the more traditional yes entries? 
Yes. I'd say there's because, even more of a reason. Yeah. Like, honestly, the biggest change with Arceus that hands out to me, and I'm not sure if, if uh, Justin Chow feels the same way, but just how easy it is to, like, capture Pokemon. Like, everything is so seamless. It's it's actually kind of insane. Like, you can throw a Pokeball at a Pokemon, it'll get into it, and you can literally just immediately start booking it uh, before even waiting for the capture to complete. Or you can, like, ca- throw a Pokeball at one Pokemon and then immediately throw a Pokemon in one of your, like, like on your team at another Pokemon. So as a Pokemon's getting captured, you're literally um, starting a battle with a different Pokemon. And okay, I haven't gone that advanced yet, but <laughs> yeah, like I can understand that you could do that in theory. I just like multitasking. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's also kind of funny because since battles are completely seamless in the overworld and the fact that you can just walk around during battles, there's some interesting like uh, situations you can run into. Like there's these um like random events called uh space-time uh, rifts that can sometimes appear in zones, and they're pretty cool when they appear because not only do they spawn a bunch of Pokemon and rare items for you to catch and pick up respectively, but they're, like, hyper-aggressive. So I ran into an issue where I, like, was in a space-time rift and I started a battle, and I accidentally kited four Pokemon, so it was 4v1. Oh, and the game actually allows for that? Like, a 4v1? yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, my God. And I was, like, absolutely terrified because I wasn't expecting that because I was like, I didn't even think the game supported 4v1 in the game. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, I assumed it would just, like, queue them up or something. Yeah, no, I was just like, oh, God. Oh, fuck. That's I real, th- real. I guess it's like things just really got real. <laughs> I think my favorite, as someone who has not had a chance to play this game yet, uh, I think my favorite kind of theme or through line between Jess and James is... um uh experience so far is kind of like the almost the emergent storytelling where james is like i ran into this rift and accidentally you know engaged with four pokemon or jess was like i was trying to catch an eevee amongst a sea of bidoofs or an or, or ran into a an, an alpha floatzel in a, in a pool of weasel or whatever so i think that sort of stuff is kind of the same sort of thing we saw with breath of the wild where people would kind of like the gameplay kind of serves as like the foundation for like how the mechanics work and breath of the wild's case specifically like all the physics system that was underlying everything and maybe uh legends arceus isn't quite as polished but the fact that it kind of allows for that those sorts of like experiences that you can't deliberately write it's just based on how the game is structured where you might have an experience where you're trying to swim across a lake and you are you have a task in mind but then you end up encountering a an alpha Snorlax and you have to like change tact immediately and, or, and you barely get away or you get stuck in a battle or something like that. I think that sort of stuff is what this sort of framework really allows for compared to a traditional Pokemon game, at least from my memory, from having played them 10 years ago or how long ago was diamond and Pearl. I don't want to know 15 years ago, uh, where it was just very like prescripted and you just go in the, you just go through the motions and the story is what it is where now it just seems like there's more of a, more of a framework in play where you can kind of have an experience that's unique to your time with the game that other people might not have, or they might have in a different order. Oh, by the way, um, I tried walking across really deep water and drowned myself. So that can happen. <laughs> How quickly maybe a God catcher, but you can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly do you get access to the different like 
travel mechanics. So obviously I've seen a lot of people with their like weird ears or whatever, but then I know you get the basket legion and you get the braviary. Um, do you unlock those pretty quickly or what? You get like one per zone, like you get a weird ear first and then the next zone you get uh, access to, uh, Ursa Luna, which actually is like your, um, treasure search in this game. I forget the name of it in the, um, Never games, but basically it, it'll help you search for treasure you can dig up. Then you get Pascal Legion, the third region, and then you get a uh, a uh, Sneasel evolution, a new one, like a split evolution in the fourth region that lets you uh, climb walls. Ooh. Huh, like I'm, I'm sure some of those have been covered in the uh, in some of the marketing, but I thought it was just Weirdier, Pascal Legion, and Braviary, but I, I didn't realize there was a Sneasel and what what point oh, yeah, did you say for the for the that treasure was the one? one for me too? Um, it's an evolution for Earthring. Ah, a new one then. Ah, that's that's one thing that's kind of cool. Like I don't want to spoil like, even though it's I'm sure it's all out there, so it's kind of weird to like try to try to be careful for spoilers for this game. But like, uh, we we already saw the Hisuian Growlithe, so you know Hisuian Arcanine is definitely a thing, and I'm sure it's already appeared in some reviews because it's not really a spoiler, but just kind of they they kind of didn't deliberately decided not to directly market it plus like potential new starters for the i actually don't know for certain and don't answer this whether or not the starters got new evolutions or new forms so it'll be kind of cool though once once it's once this game is all like cataloged and once we know exactly everything that was packed into it how many new forms or new or new split evolutions that this kind of this spin-off game decided to introduce because i think that seems like a bit of a rarity it's not the first time it's happened and i think we had that discussion a little bit when the game was announced but just compared to like a standard game how much like or whether it's like maybe on par with the Alolan or the Galarian forms that were introduced in those um, in those generations, how much Pokemon Legends Arceus ended up adding on its own is kind of like this game that exists outside of the paradigm of generations. Is this a, is this a Generation Eight game or is this a, or what is this? I, I there's a lot of I've seen like a lot of almost childish arguments. I'm like, is this mainline or not? And it's just like, does it matter? Yeah, like what, who cares what bucket you put? Yeah, like it's one of those things where it's like a kind of an arbitrary label where it's not going to change what the game is, whether you put it in the mainline bucket or the spinoff bucket. But you kind of see that same sort of thing with like Kingdom Hearts, where it's like you better not call any game in that series a spinoff at all because you will get like pilloried for it, even even recoded uh, because it'll, because it'll have like one story relevant cutscene. People will say, nope, mainline no. game. So I, I don't know. Maybe, Go ahead. Honestly, playing through Arceus Legends after um, Sword and Shield DLC and like looking back on Generation A as a whole, I actually think I'm going to pitch something to Alex about, I think, like kind of ditching the idea of Generations in a, in a sense, like uh, the games have been doing recently, honestly makes for more interesting games because a game like Arceus Legends could not exist if it had to adhere adhere to literally every Pokemon in the series history and all of the conventions that had become normalized. Mm -hmm. I do like the idea of getting away from annual releases, uh, getting away from specifically delineating generations and kind of this weird mechanical faction and just trying to tell stories within the universe that obviously has had decades to build itself up and create its framework. Um, because like, as I've kind of alluded to, I'd lost interest in Pokemon long ago 
not out of anything like resentful for anything, but just like, ah, I've been there, done that. And now Arceus is changing up the formula and in a way that I enjoyed like Colosseum and XD back in the day, where I feel like we haven't got a game like those until this, like between Colosseum and XD from like the, what, the mid-aughts when those game comes out, like 2004-ish. And then, uh, hopefully I'm not too far off on that day. And now we've got, we've obviously had like the Ranger games. We've had like the Pokemon Unite release last year. But this, there's something about this that just feels like kind of like James alluded to more, more mainline, more, more relevant, less, less kind of diversionary. That makes me that something about what it's offering, the premise, the marketing makes me really interested in playing it. So I'm eager to get to dive into it, uh, probably not too long after this podcast ends. So, uh, Jess and James, did you guys, by the way, I'm just, I'm, I'm giggling at myself that I have Jess and James here talking about Pokemon. Uh, oh, you my guys, gosh. oh, you didn't catch that. All right, I'll go no, to Jess. I didn't think about it. Was well, there anything about the game so far that uh, we haven't touched on yet that you wanted to go into before we uh, wrap up? Hmm. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is that the 3D models are really expressive. Like, I'm actually thinking of pitching an article to somewhere, to like, I don't know, some place where it's, um, you know how Wind Waker Lake was, became a meme because of how weirdly expressive he was, even though he's silent? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like honestly, same could be said for these protagonists. They're really expressive, and also, um, I mean, like I don't know, you could, like, uh, I feel like when they look happy, they look really cute, and then you could also see them like they, their shocked faces are really animated, and I just really enjoy that. Um, I'm yeah, not honestly, sure if, I don't know if people care about that, but yeah, seeing like Dawn's uh, ancestors. Uh, faces has become a meme because it's like she's so good she's so good okay so it's already a meme it's happening (laughs) i guess one other thing that i've seen that was obviously marketed a bit and it's been part of the series for a while now is like the customization where i've seen people like wear like pretty much what are like booty shorts or like a wide-brimmed hat or like (laughs) just it just seems like there's pretty pretty extensive like character customization options uh so is that a big factor of the game? Do you unlock those like when you take out side quests or things like that? Yes. There are side quests for you to get more customization options. Yeah, apparently there's also like for people who pre-ordered, I think they get the matching outfit with the Shuen Growlithe, right? I think so. Something well, I like did that. pre-order it, I think. Did I pre-order it? I forget if I purchased it like before or after it released uh like officially like on midnight eastern time or whenever it released here in north america uh do uh do side quests give you like any other bonuses in addition to cosmetics like i don't know if they give you like now you have the ability to buy ultra balls or, or something like that or like uh i don't know tools that you might use in the field or whatever like what are what are some other things that you normally get as like rewards for taking on side quests crafting recipes maybe Oh, do you get those? I guess we haven't we haven't talked about crafting at all. What are sorts of things that you craft? Well, Pokeballs for one, that's one of the first things that you learn how to do. And you could find these pretty easily, so you'll never run out of Pokeballs. Um you also get um ones for potions, and potions revive fifty HP instead of twenty in this game for some reason. That's why I'm saying like I feel like some of the attacks I don't expect them to do as much damage as they do. And the level differences seem a lot less um pronounced to me as the regular games so i mean that one's something different and then you also get a crafting table that you could take around with you too so 
yeah, crafting's a big part of this game. You also crack revives and other kinds of Pokeballs. So okay, so when I said like a side quest might reward you with Ultra Balls, might reward you with like the ability to craft Ultra Balls or different types of balls or things like that. And then a later side quest might um, give you the ability to buy Ultra Balls from the store because there's been side quests I've done that yeah. uh, deal with that. What what is a uh, what is a typical side quest? Is it just like I want to see a uh, a male weasel or whatever? Honestly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was just a guess. Um, some stuff like that, but then there's some more interesting ones. Where, like, um, there's a there's a side quest I'm currently doing where, like, partway through the game, you get the odd keystone for Spirit Tomb, and then it's like, okay, you're going to find these like wisps in every zone, and now you need to find all 107 of them. Oh, and they're like God. in like remote parts of the maps and you can't see them normally unless you're right up against them. But at night you can actually see them from a distance because they become fully visible. Um, Kind of cool. And then there's like, even for just like Pokemon capture ones, there's uh, some side quests where it's like specifically, Hey, I want to see a, a huge weasel, like not just your average size weasel or a small weasel or even a big one. I want to see one that's just like, the absolute chad of all weasels. <laughs> That's what you have it, to by get. By the way, an I'm still looking for that one. <laughs> yeah, there's an alpha weasel you can catch that it'll it'll work. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the chad of weasels. <laughs> Anyways, but, I'm really um, eager to yeah. like to to get into this tonight because uh, I just finished up what I was doing that had that I was putting off or hoping to get done in time to get to put time into this. Uh, Sorry, so, this has been asked. Is there shiny Pokemon still in in this? Yes, yes. Damn. And like if I'd it's a flying type, and if it's a skittish Pokemon, and you mess up a, uh, throwing a Pokeball, it will run away, and you're going to hate yourself. Jesus. Yeah, mood. I have either of you encountered a shiny yet? Yes, um, I encountered a kind of. There's a side quest for a Ponyta where it's like, this Ponyta looks really weird. And I was like, oh, I'm guessing it's going to be a, a Glorian Ponyta. And it's like, nope, it's a shiny. What color is shiny Ponyta? I don't know off the top of my head. Blue Flames. Oh, and Glorian's like my little pony, right? All right, so I'm sure this will not be the the last time we talk about Pokemon Legends Arceus on the site. Obviously, uh, we don't have an official review up on the site quite yet, again, due to the fact that it seems like pre-release coverage options were very limited. Not, not a lot of outlets were able to get, get hands on it. Uh, so we will obviously, of course, talk about that once it goes up and once we have our final thoughts. But uh, I don't know if Josh is planning on playing it or Adam, but uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get some different opinions on the game as as, uh, as Jess James and Chow get further and as uh, the, the rest of us start and pick starters that are not Cyndaquil or <laughs> things like that. Um, Jess, is it you that is going to be writing the review for RPG site or is it or is it someone else? Yes. It yes, is you. <laughs> awesome. Um I just uh, got the I mean I just got the code on Friday because um basically I'm also doing guides for GameSpot and they were able to expense it to me so I started um later like earlier that day. Yeah, I mean like I just put up a really late review for expedition so don't always hit embargo but again it was kind of out of our hands this time so whenever you do have that ready i'll be eager to uh hopefully get you back on and talk about it once you uh kind of have your concluding oh, yeah, thoughts on the game 
Yeah, so for those who aren't aware, the Pokemon company has kind of clamped down a bit on review code access for like outlets like ours that aren't like a huge site because of all the leaks, which is sort of funny because it's like, oh, we could happen anyway. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. know what? I actually do have a story about this. Um, because I'm freelance and I talk to a lot of people, like some people, they were reviewing for even big outlets and they don't get the codes. Like I know a guy yeah. who was reviewing for NPR, another guy was reviewing for NME and those are big sites, but they still didn't get the code. Yeah, I I was gonna say we were actually really. I'm guessing we got our code from NOE. That's that's the only way. Or did we get it from NOE? We didn't get uh, one, right? We, we didn't get one. a code. Uh, oh. we, we got a we got a launch day code. Um, oh yeah, for, no, that's what I meant. It's like there's some people that didn't even get launch day codes for big outlets. I think that's what Stress trying to say. Huh. Yeah, I've yeah, heard, that's what I'm I've saying. heard from probably some of the same people. Um, uh, maybe even folks have been on this podcast before. Um, wink, wink. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're talking. We're totally talking about the same guy. But I know another guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know any guys. I don't know you guys. We're pretty yeah, good we'll guys. Be- <laughs> uh, take your word for it. But uh, yeah, obviously, Pokemon Company. We are not like a Nintendo focus focused site uh, in a lot of ways. Even though it seems like more and more recently, Nintendo seems to be a, a more a higher plurality of the RPGs releasing in every year. Uh, surprisingly, maybe not last year, but in some previous years, uh, especially when they like go and publish like Dragon Quest titles that appear on Switch or things like that. Uh, so Triangle Strategy, yeah, yeah, Nintendo and stuff title. like yeah, and stuff like Octopath Traveler and uh, Triangle Strategy. So I imagine we'll be... we're probably going to do something about Chocobo GP, even if it's not an RPG, just because it's a Final Fantasy spinoff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But also, the one of the nice things of being about being a smaller site is that we have a little. Obviously, we try to hit embargo whenever we can, but it's not. You know, oftentimes we can kind of make sure, or even if our coverage is a bit delayed, it ends up allowing for some good discussion. It allows for us to have, you know, be able to podcast like this and have multiple people talking about the game rather than just one person who was able to play two weeks early and just kind of recounting their experience. So really cool that we were able to get kind of a mixture of opinions here and that will continue going forward as we discuss this probably in the next couple of weeks. Of course, as we typically do on this site, we don't always play just the newest, latest, and greatest, but oftentimes we try to make time to to go into games from the... Uh, from the catalog, from from history, as we uh, try to you know knock out games out of our backlog, or maybe anticipation of games that are upcoming. Uh, this is kind of a very silly preamble that I'm almost giggling to myself for as I segue into what Adam I know he has been playing for the last two weeks as he's been absent from the podcast. So, of course, uh, I don't know if I should just let Adam introduce this. So, Adam, uh, let us know that what you have been playing and why, and your time with it so far. Uh, last summer. Triace, um, they revamped the Star Ocean website, and then they announced that the the mobile game, which is Anemesis, something like that, like they revamped the Twitter account to be just a Star Ocean general Twitter account, and so it was pretty clear to me that they were going to like be working on a new mainline Star Ocean title. Star Ocean, it would be the sixth one, Star Ocean Six. Uh, this was announced last fall, sooner than I expected. Now, that's coming out later this year, Star Ocean 6, which is Star Ocean the Divine Force. But I had never played Star Ocean 5, which is Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness. Uh, I was waiting for a PC port that never came. So I was just like, I give up. 
fine. I'll play it on PS4. I played every other, I played uh, at least one version of it, every other game in the series. Um, so I wanted to play Star Ocean 5 to, just to kind of like prepare for 6. You know, I know they're not like tied and they're only very loosely tied by story, but in terms of like mechanics and how the games evolve over time and whatnot and the systems in place. So Star Ocean 5, when it came out, did not review well. I believe it has like a Metacritic of 58. Now, let me start with the good. In quotes, Star Ocean 5's characters are better than Star Ocean 4's. Now, well, I would, I that is the lowest so. bar possible. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's <laughs> not really high bar. Star to Ocean 4's like, cast is literally like, it is in the contention for like literally the worst JRPG cast. Like, I'm dead serious. Like, what is worse than that? Like, Limmel and Miracle and Witch Lady Sarah? and Cyborg Dude. And Sarah, I forgot about Sarah. Holy shit. Uh, anyways. Uh, so anyway, Star Ocean wanna, 5. Sorry, sorry. I need, I need to interrupt you. If you want to cringe yourself to sleep, just uh, Google, like, Star Ocean 4 Fly High or something like that. Yes. When, yeah, just oh, like. Man. Or if if you Nappy can, Time. Or, uh, yeah. The best character in that game is Raimi. So, okay, my, my context is that I've played some version of Star Ocean's 1 through 4. I never made time for 5. Unlike unlike Adam, who was waiting for a PC port, I was just kind of like, I am not interested <laughs> after my time with 4. But yeah, Remy, Remy is the only character in Star Ocean 4 that is not terrible. And it's only because she is, to my memory, just completely boring and plain. Every other character is just intrinsically bad. <laughs> so she's just good yeah. by comparison. Uh, so anyways, thanks for, uh, obviously Star Ocean, the divine force is, uh, one of our, I think, what well, did it hit our most anticipated release or one of our most anticipated releases? So. No, I don't it think will be so. releasing this year, but I guess we're not anticipating it very well, but, uh, it's on its way. And Star Ocean has not been in a good place for the last several years. You know, it's it, Star Ocean three was fine. Star Ocean four was bad. A lot of people will say that Star Ocean two is the only one that's even better than average. Um, so it's never been like a pinnacle of the genre and really in any fashion. So uh, Star Ocean 6 is not called Star Ocean 6 in the West. So it's just called Star Ocean the Divine Force, kind of in a manner similar to Yakuza series, not titling 7 in the West. Uh, so yeah, that's that's just the context. I just wanted to make sure that we had. So Adam, thanks for taking the plunge for us and uh, all of us who avoided Star Ocean 5. Uh, I don't think Chow's played it. But I, I yeah, so, stream. that's about it. <laughs> that's as far as you were willing to go. So uh, the characters are better than four. That's that's a good that's a good first step, I suppose. Yeah, and honestly, like on paper, the plot of Starship Five isn't terrible. It's fine in terms of like the events that happened in sequence. However, um, it has a lot of problems, which is one reason why it didn't review very well. The plot specifically, uh, mean? The, no, not the plot, just the game. The plot itself, like again, on paper, it's just, it's fine. Like, it's not like poorly structured, like in terms of the events that happen. But one thing that kind of caught me off guard, and I wasn't aware of this, was how the game is presented. Like, when you start up the game, uh, you know, you're expecting, you know, a couple of cutscenes or whatnot, introducing, you know, the main character, your starting town and whatnot. But this game, does not have very many cutscenes. And what it does instead is like it almost feels like an old school like MMORPG or something where you're you're just controlling your character model and like you're running around the city or whatnot. And then like the game will kind of take control from you, but with the same camera 
And then like the characters will just speak dialogue, voice dialogue and whatnot. But like from just like the gameplay camera that you're already in, like it, it's like presented that way where there's no cutscenes. It's just like in real time dialogue. And for like big scenes, small scenes, like almost every scene is like this, um, at least starting out, which is which is weird to me because that's not usually what you expect from a game like this. But um, one thing that actually makes it kind of tedious is that you you can't skip the scenes and you can't even like click through the dialogue like you could in like a persona or something that has, you know, dialogue boxes. You have to let it play out. So it's just it's just a weird decision. Like, I don't understand why they did it this way. Maybe it's just a budget thing. Like, we literally can't animate scenes right now. So we're just going to voice dialogue and slap it on. Well, sometimes, like, on principle, I think the idea of that sounds good, because that was, like, the whole Half-Life thing, right? Where everything was told through gameplay. But what I'm imagining, though, is that it's, like, the same idea, only executed poorly, where you're just, like, controlling your party, and you're just, like, walking in circles while you're waiting for dialogue to finish. I think think Chow is actually watching me stream it, and, like, there are several scenes when, like, there's, like, an extended three minutes or something of dialogue, and, like, I'm taking my character, and I'm just, like, literally, like, like, pacing in circles, like while everyone else is talking, because it can't you can't do anything else, and it's not really a cutscene. And I don't know, it's like it's just a cutscene or or lack of cutscene, but it's just weird. Like I didn't expect it, um, and it does make things take longer because you know, like a Persona game or something, you can just read the dialogue and maybe click to the next person or whatnot, and not let the voice line carry out. Or you could in Star Ocean Four, you could skip the scene entirely. And one actually great thing about Star Ocean 4 is when you skip a scene, it gives you a summary of it. So, like, you don't have to watch it. You can just skip it and, like, okay, what, did it, what happened here? <laughs> which is that, which um, out of any game that you would recommend that for, Star Ocean 4 would be Star Ocean 4. It's like perfect. But, anyways, um, yeah, that's, that's just the first thing that kind of caught me as I played the game. Um, there are more cutscenes that kind of come in in the later half of the game, like actual like animated scenes, but they're very rare, at least in the first part. Um, now, the combat, well, how should I put this? The game itself is really similar to four and three in terms of of like the the basics of the combat and the arts and the skills and the crafting and the things like that. And there are parts of the, of Star Ocean traditional systems that I am fond of, but there are also parts that I wish they've been like since three or even since two or earlier. Like I wish they would improve on this, and they haven't yet. So, um, how do I put this? One thing about Star Ocean games that I do genuinely like is not necessarily the direct combat of the games, but the kind of the systems in place for like crafting, for um, put, putting various stats on your characters. In Star Ocean Five, you have a roll system which gives you various bonuses. You literally unlock like one hundred different. They're called roles, and it's roles like Berserker or Instigator or troubleshooter or something like that and um you basically equip them like equipment and they give you bonuses like berserker is like you do more damage but you take more damage uh, there's one where it's like you you cast faster or you uh you you guard more often if you like you can some of these roles are affect how the ai uh behaves so you put it on like uh you put it on a different character and they might guard more often and they might do more things and like I actually appreciate this sort of flexible systems like that, that actually really tweak how the game plays. And also like, rather than just picking up a stronger sword that has a higher stat or whatever, like you can do some kind of crazy nifty things in terms of 
like if I equip this these these weapons, if I place these things, uh, these crafted items onto the weapon, and if I attach these roles, I can kind of build my character in a way. And I and I genuinely like that. And Star Ocean games, especially when you get into like the post game nonsense of Star Ocean, you really need to do that. And I like that. And Star Ocean Five has that too. But one, the one thing about Star Ocean combat that I really don't like is that the best way to play the game is just to spam the strongest skill over and over. That's it. There's n- there's no thought in terms of like like coordination or comboing or or some sort of method. It's just what's your strongest skill? Do that button. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And that's it. And it, it's like that's the most efficient way to play the game. Is your damage is going to be highest. You're going to have the easiest time if you do that. But of course, it's just it's boring. And I like games like like let's just say Tales of Arise for instance, since it's a similar party based action RPG. Like it even it, Tales of Arise will legitimate or literally penalize you if you do the same skill over and over. Mm-hmm. It wants you to at least do different combos. You have the different meters that build. It's like a plate spinning RPG. We've used that. Uh, phrase before where like you have your chain meter you have your like partner meter or whatever your break meter and different other abilities you can do and you cannot just spam the same skill over and over and i one thing i really wish for star ocean 6 is like give me a reason not to just spam the same skill over and over and of course the thing running in my head right now is star ocean 3 sidekick dimension door sidekick dimension door yes, sidekick <laughs> dimension door or in star ocean 4 arumat skill dragon roar there's, that's the best skill in the game. Control our match, do Dragon Roar over and over and over. And that's the best way to win. I played the Star Ocean 1 like remaster port a couple years ago that they did. And it's actually the same thing there. I forget what the skill is called, but it's similar to Dragon Roar. And it's just like, there's no reason not to do that. And it's just, it, it's like almost like a failure in game design, to be honest. Um, but anyway, it's like, if, it's like uh, if I'm not incentivized to do anything but this, I'm just going to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, excuse me. But yeah, um, so Star Ocean 5, it's similar to 4. Otherwise, like I said, the characters are better. The presentation is worse. The combat, the one it's hitch on to the combat. Yeah, it's on par. Um, I would actually probably say 3 and 4's combat is probably better than 5. Uh, one, the, the element of five that is unique to it is that you have seven characters and they all participate in battle at the same time. Um, Trius has kind of tried this idea before they did it with, a oh, what was that game called? Infinite Undiscovery. What a title, huh? Um, where I you have like that, a massive but I party. Don't, but I don't remember like how the party works in it. Yeah. You basically have like a whole party with you there too. Um, so I have beaten the game now and I actually did do a lot. Of, I did dive into all the post-game nonsense that Star Ocean games have because I don't know, it's kind of fun just to like, you know, the, the ethereal queen, which is a reoccurring post-game boss in Star Ocean and other triage games has like 140,000 HP, I think. Um, or maybe it's 14 million. I forget how many zeros there are. Um, and it just, it gets kind of nuts and crazy. And I kind of like that. Uh, so I hope Star Ocean six does that as well in terms of just some crazy post-game, but I just really hope the combat is better. I hope the presentation is better. Um, not just cutscenes, like the presence of cutscenes, but uh, Star Ocean 5 came out in 2016. So like six years ago or so. And um, the animations and the few cutscenes it has are really poor. 
it's the type of uh it, it reminds me of like ps2 era jrpg animation where the characters like move like marionettes and they like animate in like really exaggerated ways even if they're just like shrugging their shoulders or nodding their head it's like this overly animated motion that doesn't look natural at all and i like i really hope that it's like that starship 6 is improved there just from like a presentation standpoint um and you know one thing i just thought of the title integrity and faithlessness having beaten the game i have no idea why it's titled that <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing in the game <laughs> like a new hope or the last hope which is star ocean 4 it's like okay that's more generic you know you're, you're the last person to, you know you're the, basically the the hope you know you're the only person that can save the world or whatever but here it's like i have no idea what faithlessness is referring to it's like <laughs> the the bad guy in this game doesn't have a lot of integrity because he's a bad guy <laughs> or, i don't know <laughs> anyways uh but yeah it's just like it's a it's a mediocre game at best. Uh, it has some of the common Star Ocean elements that are that I like, but there are a lot of poor things that like I really hope these are improved on a on when Star Ocean Six comes out. Well, thank you for suffering through that for us. But it sounds like you actually picked out a few things that you did genuinely like, so it wasn't all bad. Who, who do we know who's covering Star Ocean Six slash the Divine Force? I don't think we've just. I don't think we've designed anyone yet. I might assign myself. I'm gonna say like I don't know how much competition there's gonna be for that one. Uh, it's it's weird because we don't want to like just bag on the game before it releases because maybe it'll be a big big surprise. And out of the like the quick showing that we've seen with the big open areas and uh, things like that, it's it looks like they've really put some some ambition behind it. But it'll, it'll, you know, the models still look kind of weird. Like you, I remember when this game when this. Uh, Star Ocean models, for whatever reason, they look like they look like dolls and like creepy dolls in some way. I don't know if it's like the proportions of the head or the eyes or something. But I remember when this trailer was first airing, like it was obviously a space themed game. So that was one clue. But like as soon as they showed a character, I was like, yep, this is Star Ocean. <laughs> you can just tell because uh, it's got a bad character model. And maybe that's just part of the style. But um, uh and Anyways. people were wishing. People were wishing, like before the PlayStation version of Starship Four, like, can we just have the, uh, can we just have the character art instead of like these weird model renders? But, yeah, that was part of the weird Xbox 360 like era when they landed like exclusive JRPGs for a while. I really hated that time. It's like, oh, you hated. 2D portraits will give you 3D models, and it's like, ah, can we just have the option to choose instead of? Like, I actually did not know that uh star ocean 4's characters were designed by oh what's his name uh katsumi inami like i literally did not know that because you don't see his art in the western version of the game uh you know you see the, just the model instead so it was not until the game came out on ps3 and then the uh the the remaster that came out just a few years ago like three or four years ago um that's when they actually used the actual like character art is he is he so the artist on on six? Do we know? Uh, no. So Katsumi Inami is the artist of the Crossbell games. Uh, he did the Kuro, he did Star Ocean Mikasaki. one remaster. He did he did Star Ocean one. He did E seven. Um, so he does he does he's done a bunch of Falcom stuff, and he also did Star Ocean four as well as the mobile game, Star Ocean five and Star Ocean six. Both have the same character artist, and it's Akiman. Is like his uh pen name or whatever oh right a-k-i-m-a-n so it's the same artist as 
um, six. And to be honest, I don't mind a lot of the designs in Star Ocean Five. Like I, I like Anne. She's kind of wearing like a leather like frock, um, and she's she's like a punch, uh, a punch lady. She uh, <laughs> like martial artist. Well, it's good, you know, that's what she does. Um, and I don't mind like Fidel's hoodie or um, the cleric Miki's like robe and things like that. I, I prefer that more than like Miracle, who is you know like a cat literal cat girl who wears basically nothing or whatever in star ocean four but um but yeah uh star ocean six get hype get hype not on our anticipated list but it is coming out this year so thank you for sharing your experience with that um and i think that pretty much covers us for the two games that we wanted to talk about for games we've been playing uh i i did talk last week about expeditions rome uh at length so i won't tread the same ground here i will just reiterate that i um i did write up a, a review for the site that i put up this morning and i didn't realize until like i was late in the game that star not star ocean my brain is poisoned by your discussion now uh, expeditions rome plays a lot like wasteland 3 in terms of being like this phase-based turn-based encounter where you it's almost like fire emblem where you can move all of your units at any given time on your phases turn and so that so that i feel like i enjoy more than the uh, the comparison that i used last week was divinity original sin which wasn't a very good comparison and honestly because that's more purely turn based where you must move one unit than the next unit or whatever uh, but one thing about Expeditions Rome that I did want to give one quick shout out for before closing the book on it here is that I did actually really like kind of how it progressed its story near the end of the game. So Expeditions Rome takes place in like the first century BC, like around 60 to 40 BC. And it takes place over the course of several years, like across three different campaigns that are spaced several years apart. So it spends, it basically, the game is a long game. It took me about 50 hours and it covers a great deal of time like in game like eight or nine years so that's a hard thing to pull off i think where um like the the, the the characters are implied to have known each other by the end of the game for for a decade at that point which when you've only known them for a week that's how long it took you to play the game it might not feel like it but i feel like something about expeditions rome actually did sell that both in terms of like the relationship between the characters on your team plus like your relationship with the antagonist and I think Expeditions Rome has my favorite sort of antagonist. He is like not comically evil. He's not outright hostile. He's not like Luca Blight or Sephiroth or whatever, Seymour, where it's just like he is the bad guy and he will let you know it. It starts out that he's like on the front. The, 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 the antagonist's name is Vitellus Lurko, and he starts out as basically like a Roman politician, and then he, and then like over the years, it's actually almost kind of like a Final Fantasy Tactics Delita thing, where he becomes consul of Rome, and then during a, during a during a kind of a catastrophe or an, an impending war, he 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 gets appointed dictator by the Senate. Uh, I guess that's almost like Star Wars <laughs> in a way, and it basically like builds and builds like this tension where eventually he becomes like too powerful to ignore, and like this sort of escalating uneasy alliance that you have with him just starts to break down at the end. And I, by the end of the game, I actually was like really into the story of Expeditions Rome, even though I did not go into the game expecting that at all, and not really like even being like really high on the Roman setting at all in the first place. It's not something that inherently interests me. So. I guess what I want to get at as a closing statement is that I went into this game with kind of like 
completely on a whim expectations don't know what i'm expecting if i'll be pleasantly surprised that'll be nice and i was pleasantly surprised like i i ended up basically really in being thankful that i took the time to, to play through it because i could have skipped it if it released in any other month so if you are at all interested in if you if you enjoyed turn-based western rpgs or wasteland 3 in particular in terms of its pure combat gameplay then expeditions rome is right down the same alley and i ended up enjoying the story and the characters of that game far more than i expected to and of course, i have my full review up on the site um if you're interested in reading more sounds cool now i just need to like set aside 40 hours yeah to play it that that is our our constant burden is setting aside time. Yeah. I wanted to get the Noja PC, which we'll talk about later. Uh, and I'm like, when will I squeeze that in? I still have Monster Hunter Rise that I downloaded on PC that I've only put like two hours in. And I said last week podcast, like I will get to it, but now I'm going to play Pokemon, and I don't know. We're, February is close approaching, and there's a lot coming out in February too. So our constant struggle. Golden Ring. <laughs> yep. Remember when JRPGs were ten hours long, like Chrono Trigger. Ah, 15 hours, 20 hours. All right, so we'll go into the news section this week. Um, Not any big hitters like we had last week with the Activision Blizzard acquisition, but a couple interesting things here. Uh, First of all, we did talk about kind of like some rumor mongering on this topic over the last couple of weeks. We talked about the um, changing of the guard over at RGG Studios under Sega with Toshihiro Nagoshi leaving the studio, presumably to form his own. Uh, Well, we learned about the details of that over the last week. Uh, Underneath publisher NetEase, they've established Nagoshi Studio. And this includes not only Toshihiro Nagoshi, but also several other veterans from RGG Studios that have worked on games like Yakuza and Judgment, including their producer, Hosokawa and a programmer, Koji Tokaida. So basically, a lot of RGG Studios vets have formed a new studio underneath uh, Nagoshi, underneath the aptly named Nagoshi Studio with NetEase. Now, I was asking, actually asking Adam before this podcast, based on the types of games that I play, I have n- no idea like who NetEase does or what they're known for. So, like, Adam basically answered me, like, mobile games. But, like, I normally with, mo- with some mobile games, I'm at least, like, aware of what they are through, like, just general osmosis. But I looked at, like, in the NetEase portfolio, and I don't know if I'm just in a completely different realm in terms of what games I play, but I did not see anything that I recognized, which I guess might explain, like, what the incentive is for to create such a studio with these known names underneath their banner. Um and then along with the uh, the establishment of Nagoshi Studio, uh, Nagoshi himself did publish a message basically about like their aspirations. And we have up on our news story on the site the the context of this this essentially this blog post. But I'll be honest, like it's a bit of like high level, almost mealy mouthed speak that it's hard to almost get a latch on. Where, for instance, where it's like one of the paragraphs is like, people like to see their dreams in entertainment. They, entertainment gives them hope in life to soothe them in times of difficulty and excitement to happy times. This is our like, this is our goal. This is our aspiration. And it just seems like it's hard to get a latch on like what exactly they're working on or what sorts of games they'll be doing. So that was kind of when I was looking at this, uh, this news drop. My takeaway is that it's hard to get excited for this, even though I just recently played through Yakuza 6 and want to play through Judgment and really enjoyed Like a Dragon as well. Uh, for some reason, I look at this and I'm just not. I didn't see enough. Yeah, there's here nothing really... concrete yet, so we'll see eventually. But right now, it's just ideas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we might reconvene in a couple of years or when we don't know like 
how far in advance they'll announce what their first project is or what, even what type of game they want to be working on. But uh, Negoshi Studio under NetEase, uh, we know that RGG is in good hands. We know that obviously Negoshi was instrumental in exploiting the popularity of that Yakuza series and branching out into other series like Judgment. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing underneath their new in their new context and their new environment. But as of right now, it's just kind of all well wishes and aspirations. Uh, we got normally when we talk about trailers in the news section of this cast, I always wonder like how much there really is to latch onto when it's just like 90 seconds to two minutes of footage that anyone could watch on their own time. Like, do we really need to discuss it? But I am very glad that we have earmarked time in this podcast to talk about the quote unquote final trailer for one of the releases of this year that we actually are anticipating pretty highly, at least several of us. And that is Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin. This obviously is releasing in just under two months in mid-March. Uh, and we got a final trailer for this game, which is a treat. It's not very often that I say, like, you should watch this trailer right now if you haven't yet, especially if you've already seen some other trailers for this game or some other screenshots and you don't think you need to see anymore. Uh, this trailer, I think, is fun and ends in a way that I was not expecting where I was watching it. And again, this is called the final trailer for Stranger of Paradise. And I, I was halfway through watching it and I was telling Adam, like, man, this actually looks really fun. And then he asks me a question I was not expecting. He's like, did you get to Frank Sinatra yet? I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so if you want to know what I mean by that, you should uh, you should watch the Stranger of Paradise final trailer and uh, hopefully be as like, I, I was almost grinning like an idiot, not because like everything in the trailer looks amazing, but just kind of like how campy it is, how like this is a video game. This should be fun. We're not trying to make this into like some blockbuster epic. We're just trying to have a good time. That was kind of the vibe that I was getting uh, that I've have been getting for this game for a while now. And um, I do know that we've had people that played the stress test or like whatever that, that limited time demo for late last year, including James that ended up really enjoying it. I know Adam has expressed his high anticipation for stranger of paradise as well uh and basically i'm saying that i'm starting to feel it too i don't know i don't know there's so there's something about a game that's like this story doesn't seem like the type of story that you take 100 percent seriously and it's not like there's a fine line we were actually talking about this i remember with george's on the podcast before where it's like it's not completely like irrelevant it's not, it's not a joke game. but it's but it's like a type of story that's just like it seems like the type of tone and plot and characters that are just like, you know, not super serious. We're here to have so a good just, time. We're not here to blow mm -hmm. your minds. We're not here to be like, make a joke of it all either. We're just here for a good time. And I, I kind of like a game that's able to thread that needle. And hopefully the but final also, um, Go ahead. They also showed a trailer like shortly afterward. I think they called it like the basics of battle. That just showed, it's like a four minute, like more like a demo trailer, four minute, like narrated overview about, you know, here's how the game works. And it looks really nice, like, as in terms of, like, how it plays, which, you know, being, I guess, a Koei Tecmo. I know it's not the Neo team. I guess it's the Dissidia team. But it looks like I'm hoping it plays, you know, plays well, which... Well, people have outright, like, or, found out that some of the enemies in uh, Stranger Paradise, at least in the demo, reused some animations from uh, Neo 2 enemies. So... Well, even though if, even if it's not the same team, if they're able to learn anything or glean or carry over any of the success, because I I adored Neo, it was my top game of that year. Uh, Neo two, I mean. Um, so I really hope that 
basically, if they have any sort of, if they're able to pull from that experience at all into Stranger Paradise, then I know I'm in for a good time because I thought that combat was really special and had a lot of variety. And I kind of can sort of see glimpses of it in Stranger Paradise. And so this trailer also goes through like a lot of the expected boss fights, like the four fiends that originated in Final Fantasy One, like Merolith, Lich. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Kraken and um, oh yeah, Kraken. And like it just looks like there yeah. there was one where it's this big like fire snake thing. I don't even know what it is. It's been a long time since I played Final Fantasy One, uh, but it just it looks like it just has a a really fun variety of enemies it looks really challenging and i know like uh, it, even the demo itself was really challenging for people just fighting uh uh what was the boss in the demo chaos garland, garland duh uh, and then <laughs> chaos, chaos. It's it just looks like it's a good time i'm 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 excited for this game uh, and the trailer like, is a fun trailer a job trailer was it there was a job trailer and people said that there was going to be like 27 or is it 28 job classes? It's 20 it something five. job classes. Yeah. Which I, I love job systems and pretty much any game they appear in. So the fact that this has that as well, I think is really neat. And I'm already eagerly anticipating like people like theory crafting or ending up like testing different builds and they find out like what's super broken. Cause one thing that like, at least in terms of, I haven't played a lot of Koei Tecmo games, but in Neo, they weren't afraid to just let broken builds be broken builds. Where I feel like in Dark Souls, they're always like, and that's like the most contemporary sort of game I can think of. Uh, whenever they iterated on that, they always, um, or even in like Code Vein, where certain builds ended up getting like nerfed or buffed in a, in, in, in a search of some sort of balance in a single player game. Where I hope in, I hope in Stranger Paradise, they allow it just to go wild. And they're just like, if you pair these two abilities together from these two jobs and you end up like being able to like be this unstoppable monster. I hope, I hope they have like a little bit of like sometimes a little, a little bit of lack of balance, I think can be pretty fun. Uh, so hopefully they allow that here in stranger of paradise. Uh, we'll just continue wrapping through the news here. Uh, here's something that has kind of become a staple of early year announcements on the RPG front. And that is for elder scrolls online. So, Elder Scrolls Online, I feel like, is kind of like that uh, Thomas the Tank Engine uh, MMORPG, where it's just tanking, it's just like trucking along and constantly going, and uh, it seems to have like its population in place. And I've I've always been eager in playing it, but I just don't have the time. They've announced a new expansion, uh, which has been kind of an annual thing for that MMO since like 2018, 2017. Uh, they'll typically announce an expansion early in the year in January, and then release in like the summer months, like May through July. Uh, last year, I believe it was Blackmore, Black Moon. Uh, this year, it is Elder Black Scrolls Wood. Online, Blackwood. I don't know why I thought it was Black Moon. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was Elsewhere. Um, it was Morrowind, I think was the first one. Anyways, to get to the news from this year, they've announced the Elder Scrolls Online High Isle. So this is, uh, in the first chapter of it is called Legacy of the Bretons. How how Elder Scrolls Online does it? Uh, okay, I, I don't. I would explain. Uh, I'm looking at the thumbnail here, and I'm seeing Elder Scrolls Online High Isle Legacy of the Bretons. So it's like that's that's the three titles back to back to back. So how Elder Scrolls does its updates is like every year they have like a a campaign event, and this year's campaign is Legacy of the Bretons. Okay. Now it starts like in March. It's like an update to the current Elder Scrolls Online that will like start the storyline. And then if you want to continue it, you have to buy High Isle, which is like the second oh, part of tricky. it. Oh, that's tricky. Yeah, and that's what they've done this like the last several years. Um, 
like I think last year's was like called the Gate of Oblivion was the campaign event, but then the up the that the actual like purchase product that you buy was Blackwood. That's how they've done it. It is it's, it's a little like, bit confusing. Yeah, so it's kind of weird because like different MMOs or online games will context what what constitutes quote unquote an expansion in different ways. We've seen Final Fantasy on their like two year cadence for a while now. Uh, Elder Scrolls has obviously been on like a a one year cadence for a while. So something that might be a Final Fantasy just like point three patch ends up becoming an expansion in Elder Scrolls. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that to like belittle one or raise the other. It's just that you know different studios based on their pipeline or however they decide to support their their service game will just package their content releases differently with but might borrow the same language calling something an expansion or versus a content release uh versus a uh whatever what did you call legacy of the bretons just like campaign event oh uh, i forget what they i forget the, the wording they use for it but it's like that's the that's like the broad umbrella and then like underneath the umbrella is actually where high aisle is right and i and i i I know that Elder Scrolls Online, unlike Final Fantasy or even like Guild Wars Two, it's you can you can jump into any expansion like in any order. They're like they're they're not at least at least not completely experienced linearly, so you can kind of like pick and choose the areas you're most interested in. So I kind of do wish we still had like Adam Reese on the staff in just some ways because I know that he had been playing Elder Scrolls Online, uh, but unfortunately it's kind of fallen off, and I think it's kind of uh, almost like a daunting task to get caught up at this point for to get be able to, to to be able to get someone on on this podcast that's actually like really well versed and like has a character at Endgame at Elder Scrolls Online to be really I'd, I'd love to be able to talk with someone that's like because right now we can kind of only speak to it at a high level. Uh, that's an play it a bit. Or I don't I think he used to like the early, like the original version. <laughs> then he stopped. Yeah, it's definitely one of those games where I can tell that it's really good if you're like into it. And that's always nice to see. Yeah. And it's like, obviously like well supported. They've been on a really good pace because sometimes with MMOs uh, or even like in my personal experience with Guild Wars 2, there's been like Un- uneven release cadence you know you never quite know what they're working on but then elder scrolls online and final fantasy 14 have been on a regular cadence for nearly a decade now where elder scrolls online has been releasing a yearly expansion since 2017 after releasing in what 2014 so they've obviously found stability in that front which when you're playing an online game when you're when you're you know in in that experience where that you you, you that is your if you're a mono gamer or if that is your like your one experience that you that you hold on to keep installed in your hard drive that you know it's going to be supported that each year you can come into and expect uh, a new content drop for Elder Scrolls or every two years you'll get an expansion for Final Fantasy. I, I feel bad to kind of always keep up bringing up Final Fantasy, but I guess uh, as, as someone who doesn't play either of those two games, I do kind of admire seeing that both have been in such a seemingly good place for a while in terms of support from their studios and uh, reception from their audience. Uh, speaking of Final Fantasy, I guess I wasn't planning for the segue, but here it is. Uh, they have resumed digital sales. So I guess like the clot of server congestion at the release of Endwalker is finally subsiding a bit. Uh, so there's digital sales that had been paused are now reopened. And on top of that, we kind of alluded to this in one of our previous podcasts. They have opened the new Oceania data center, which I know was something that was really of interest for Paige, who uh, is from Australia and I believe was in interested in switching over to that data center. I'm not 100% sure I haven't followed through. Uh, but yeah, just kind of 
we they had mentioned those those plans uh, late last year, earlier this year, and they have gone through. I guess there was also just an update, uh, 6.08, which made some tweaks to certain job balance. I don't know if James can talk about that a little more, but uh, it seems like a minor update in the in the scheme of things. Well, no, no, they no. They they buffed Dragoon, but who cares? They got rid of our goddamn tether. No, this this is necessary. It's either you can't I, see in P three or you will have that tether. Ciao, ciao. You can't see either way. <laughs> it, it it's a good thing. Trust me. I know people like the animation of it, but. When people see things that they're un- unfamiliar with, they'll be like, oh, it's like, why are you tailored to me? I'm going to run away from you. <laughs> and they just kill themselves doing that. All right. So maybe not such a small bill, uh, small patch if you uh, play Dragoon. Um, well, it, it also affects the Paladin, so it's actually not a joke. Yeah, they a, actually have content. more DPS than Warrior now. But that's only if they're a good Paladin player. Apparently, yeah. Warrior still out DPS them on average, so... Yeah, that's because um, the skill ceiling for the Paladin rotation is much higher than the skill ceiling for the Warrior rotation. Warrior is just, it is literally Unga Bunga the class in all uh, meaning because it <laughs> I is think it's appropriate, really though. simple. It's kind of like the archetypal class where it's like, if you want to play something that's still, I assume, effective, but pretty easy to play, play Warrior. If you want to play something that's a little bit more technically involved with a higher skill ceiling, it sounds like Paladin is now the better yep. option for that. A few other small notes to kind of wrap out this uh, this podcast. Uh, here's one that I am kind of interested in, but not at this moment, is that we have learned about the release of the first DLC edition to Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Um, we had already known that they were going to be doing DLC. Pathfinder Kingmaker got three pieces of DLC through its release uh, year. So completely not surprised that Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous is going through the same kind of like the same schedule. A Wrath of the Righteous Inevitable Excess will launch on February 15th. In addition to this, the planned console versions of Wrath of the Righteous have been delayed to autumn of this year. In Pathfinder Kingmaker, the three DLCs that they added were kind of like an additional, they added a story around an additional companion. They added kind of like a side story, which would then import into the main game based on your decisions made there. And then they also added like more of a roguelike dungeon mode at the end. Uh, it sounds like this DLC expansion for Wrath of the Righteous is a little bit more traditional. It says it takes place basically right before the end of the game. So not like post-credit DLC, but kind of like almost in the, um, isn't this how Outer Worlds did it too? Where it's like before the ending events of the game, you also did this side quest, which was added on DLC later or whatever. So it says it'll take players on a new adventure that awaits just before their moment of greatest triumph, basically right before the end of the game. It's a, it's basically about defending the space-time continuum against imminent collapse. So pretty pretty high st- high water stuff there. Uh, I did enjoy Wrath of the Righteous a bit. And I am eager to play this DLC, at least to kind of experience it. However, I know that they're going to be launching more, or at least they plan to. So I will probably just hold off because they're still also working on bug fixes and just general polish. So kind of what I did with Kingmaker is just that I waited a year and then I came back once all the DLC was out, once the game was in a really good place and just experienced it again from the beginning. Uh, I will probably just do that again for Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, it's cool to see that they had another successful launch and they're um, still supporting it with DLC, but I will I will probably just hold off for now. Uh, we got a release date for the second of the two 
Acrony Presents Classics. So we saw in a couple of years ago, the Nice America kind of take this initiative to re-release some of their like PlayStation 2, PSP era games uh, for uh, PC and Switch. This started with Soul Nomad and the World Eaters and Phantom Brave with Prinny Presents Classics Volume 1. And Volume 2, we learned about last September, which contains Makai Kingdom Chronicles of the Sacred Tome and ZHP. And specifically, the cool thing about this is that Makai Kingdom ended up getting a enhanced re-release that we never saw in the West, but we will get with as part of this Classics Volume 2. So these two games will release on May 10th in North America, May 13th in Europe. I forget, uh, ZHP, didn't someone on this podcast play this back in uh, 2010 on PSP? I remember that when this second volume was first announced, that someone we had on the podcast was really eager to to revisit ZHP at one point. Uh, I actually, I've been meaning to play things like Phantom Brave for, for in, forever, and that's been on PC even longer than this this initiative, and I still haven't gotten around to it. I'd be in the original game. I, I, I've heard Phantom Brave is really good. Like it's it's like an SRPG with like a ring system instead of a traditional. A grid. I heard it's you know solid. It, it is a solid game. It is a lot different than than the standard kind of like the right. sky of kind of fair. That's uh, what makes it. That's what makes it interesting to me is that it's different. But it's it still got the same. Uh, was it the same artist? Same artist. The uh, same leveling system where you could go up to nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. But obviously, you probably beat the game around like level hundred ish or even lower, depending on your pace of playing the game or how much grind you want to do. I mean, I, I played this guy at one and two and I just like played them normally. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to deal with this. You know, <laughs> I, I was just saying with star ocean, I like to mess around with like the stats and stuff. I, this guy, I'm just like, let me just play the story and then I'm done. I feel, I feel kind of silly. Like we're talking about uh volume two, but it seems like more people are interested in playing the games contained in volume one with phantom brave. I want to play uh, Soul Nomad. Well, no, I'm, I'm way more excited for Volume 2 because I I actually own ZHPA on Vita uh, through the PS Store, and I've heard like a lot of good things about it. Oh, so you've owned it but just haven't played it? Yeah. Yeah, so the uh, these games, Makai Kingdom and ZHP, are also releasing individually on Steam, and both of those store pages are already up with some some footage and some, uh, some screenshots. And then, of course, we'll be also releasing uh, on Switch as the dual pack. Uh, it seems like as of just a couple days ago, Bravely Default Brilliant Lights has launched for mobile devices in Japan. So we talked about Brilliant Lights uh, when it was first announced a couple, uh, maybe a month ago on the podcast, how it kind of uses uh, this. Brilliant Lights was announced uh, like last summer. Oh, okay. Um, I remember we just talked about how it borrows the almost like the claymation kind of look from Bravely Default 2, but then incorporates a lot of the characters and locations from the other games in the series. It's a it has game. characters from both 1, 2, and it has it does have characters from 2nd. Yeah. And, of course, the the main omission here is that, yes, it launched in Japan two days ago. We got uh, an opening movie up on the site as part of the news post for that launch, but it has not been announced in any way or even teased for an English uh, localization. So, unfortunately for that. Is it? We've, I, we probably have talked about this before, but like Square Enix's like localizations on their mobile games is just kind of weird. Like Dra- Dragon Quest the Die game has got a simultaneous release, even though like the Die console game 
has not been confirmed for the West. And like, I don't even know. Um, I think the anime is getting a simul, like it's getting translated, but um, it's just, that's a weird one. And then like the Octopath mobile game came we out like a it. year and a half ago. We never saw it. The, the Mana no- mobile game, which is coming out, is going to get like an English release and they've already announced that. It's just, you know, some get it, some don't. Well, I mean, it's not the first time that we've seen like inconsistency from Square Enix in terms of games that they publish in terms of World or worldwide release or not, what PC storefront it's on, uh, who publishes it on certain consoles, whether like they let Nintendo take over for Switch releases or things like that. It's always kind of a grab bag and not not a lot of not a paragon of consistency there. Uh, so I don't know if maybe Josh would be interested in like playing the Japanese version of this. Uh, I'm not sure. Otherwise, we might just have to hold off and see if we'll ever see an English version of this or if it'll end up being like the Octopath game where we just happen to never see it because that's just how it is. Because we're at the whims of mercy of Square Enix. Uh, we did get a new uh, set of character trailers for Triangle Strategy. And I know that, Adam, I might just hand it off to you here. Because I know that you've been working really hard in terms of kind of keeping an up-to-date, almost catalog of all the announced characters for this game. And, like the whole cast and all the all the different, basically the whole roster. So I know I know that they've announced specific things uh, over the course of the last week, including like a specific trailer on Frederica, which seems to be like one of the main heroines of this game. So what what is the status of where we're at in terms of these different like spotlight look-ins? At yeah, so the, Square Strategy? Enix kind of has like Square Enix kind of has like two different series that they're kind of procedurally going through now. One are these character trailers. They've released the first two character trailers, which is the Glenbrook prince whose name i forget roland um mm-hmm. he was number one and frederica a frost is n- number two and then they just released number three in japan who is um the uh wolfort steward whose name i forget uh let me look it up here so they released th- they've released three character trailers in the ch- japan the uh the third character trailer hasn't been released in english yet they're kind of oddly like not in standard because it's yeah, it's it's Square Enix is publishing it in Japan, Nintendo in the West. It's a little bit weird. The guy I was thinking of is Benedict Pascal. Uh, so he they, he he just they just got his character trailer. But these character trailers also introduce some of like the related characters that are like involved with that main character. But alongside these character trailers, Square Enix is also just releasing basically uh, character bios of many different characters that are found in the game. And if you played. Final Fantasy Tactics, or especially Tactics Ogre, you know, these games have a lot of characters, both playable and, well, just, you know, you have different kingdoms, different houses of kingdoms, you know, you have different family members, there's a lot. And they've they've introduced 37 characters so far. So they're not like, I doubt, I highly doubt they're all playable. In fact, I think, like, uh, your main character's dad dies, like, early on. But, um, uh, yeah, we have 37 characters so far and it, I'm, I'm really hoping it's been a long time since we've had like a tactics ogre or even a final fantasy tactics even in final fantasy tactics advance it's been a while so i'm i think it's been more than 10 years since tactics ogre psp or final fantasy tactics advance or like war of the lions so it's like i'm i'm hoping this can at least you know bring be, back that 
Yeah, like I'm not I'm not saying it has to be better than those, but like hopefully it is, you know, respectable and pretty good. So well, it, it won our it won our most anticipated award for this year. So Well, and, maybe it's Squaresoft or Square Enix's mindset. It's like, oh, it's a turn based strategy games. They don't really sell and they always had this mindset everything gotta be action these days or something like that. Do we know who who does the artwork of these characters? I don't think we know. Because it's really unique. It's it's not quite like right to Kazama or uh, or any of the other ones that I can kind of like think that might have done it. Like Akihiko Yoshida did the uh, yeah. It doesn't yeah. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like Yoshida. It doesn't look like Kazama. It doesn't look like Uh, we we posted like a collage of the characters on Twitter, and people do seem to really like the art. Um, overall, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm kind of hoping it comes to PC relatively soon, but yeah, no. But thanks for uh, keeping up to date on all that news and all. It kinda, it's like kind of at a drip feed mode where they, if they've got 37 characters, and even if they do character trailers on I don't know six of them, the fact that you have been keeping on top of them and with with Kite's help for some of the translations for some of the stuff that stays only in Japan for a while in terms of the the press releases. At the very end here, we just have a couple things that are available now. Uh, one thing that we were talking about and we knew was coming but didn't have a release date until it was launched uh, was Noja is now available on PC. Obviously, Noja was a major presence in our last Game of the Year award discussion in terms of landing in our in our final list. At the time, it was a Switch exclusive, or and I guess it was also in on Vita in, in Japan, but it is now also available on steam so that's kind of what i was waiting for but you know the, the the continuing conundrum of trying to make time for it but it is available now and also available is a free demo for the upcoming monarch which is releasing in under a month as nintendo is available on both nintendo eShop and uh on psn so uh, it will monarch itself will also release on steam but as far as i know the demo is only available on the consoles so i do know that we've got a couple people uh, contributors to staff who have been either playing or planning to play the demo. So maybe over the course of the next month, we might get a uh, uh, some impressions on the demo here on this podcast, or we might just wait until we uh, get the full game covered uh, upon its release uh, on February 22nd. And that kind of covers it uh, for this podcast. So kind of a lot of cool discussions. Uh, thank you, Jess, for coming on to kick off things with a really cool intro to what Pokemon Legends Arceus has to in store for us, for some of us that are going to continue playing or start over the next couple of days. Thank you, Adam, for going through your experience with Star Ocean 5, uh, kind of getting getting a chance to talk about a game that otherwise would be completely skipped on this podcast, because I don't think we ever actually wrote a review for it. I'm not actually sure. No, we have a review. Oh, who it's wrote that? Uh, Let me see. I think it's Andrea. Oh, Andrea did. So Andrea, who is now writing uh, Pokemon Guides for us, apparently covered Star Ocean 5. Back in 2016, so it's been a while. Of course, all the all the uh, upcoming games that we got a chance to look into, all that news is up on the site, including those features that I rambled off at the start of the podcast, including Pages Atelier Sophie 2 preview, my Expeditions Rome review. We've got at least 10 Pokemon Legends Arceus guides up on the site now, including Alex's uh, kind of RPG slanted feature for that game. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with probably more Pokemon and... Uh, as we go into the month of February, where we have a lot of games that we're eagerly anticipating and hoping to get into. 
Uh, we do have our, all of the news up on our site at rpgsite.net. If you click the link at the top, you can go to our Discord or go to Discord uh, slash RPG site. And we also do have our presence on all the social channels, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search for RPG site and you'll probably find us. Until you hear from us next time, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you then.